You know the thing that fucks most young men financially for years? It is. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. In this video, I'm going to depart from my usual topics and look a little bit at wealth creation, uh, money mindsets, some of the, the things that I've learned about how to create wealth. Now, if you've, been, if you've ever thought about this and you've researched online, how do rich people get rich or what are wealthy mindsets, the mindsets of the rich people out there, then you probably come across things like this. I just did a quick search on like, what is a generic wealth mindset? Here's a bunch of them. Rich people are committed to being rich. Poor people want to be rich. Rich people think big. Poor people think small. Rich people focus on opportunities. Poor people focus on obstacles. Rich people admire other rich and successful people. Poor people resent rich and successful people and so on. Now, I don't necessarily think those are incorrect statements and uh, some of them uh, we could dissect and play with. And I think the first thing is, is like there are economic realities in the world. And so whenever anyone is talking about like how to get wealthy, uh, I don't think it's fair to be saying that, you know, poor people have terrible mindsets if they're living in situations where it is impossible to succeed. It doesn't, doesn't really matter what, what your money mindsets are if you're in sub-Saharan Africa in a tiny village and you've got militias coming in and burning your villages. It doesn't matter how much you vision board and use this power of the secret. I don't think that's a fair thing. So I think there is a little bit of uh, victim blaming when it comes to this kind of, these kind of statements because we do live in economic realities on a planet which, where there is inequality out there. And everyone's like, I knew it, James is a communist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm not a communist. So there's, you, you've probably heard these kinds of things. And like there definitely are mindsets that, that people who are more successful in life have or, or foster. And there are different ways of thinking that people who tend to move towards unsuccess or move towards like not getting what they want as opposed to moving towards what they do want. And of course, this relates to everything that we do with, with seduction and uh, women. Like if you have a core belief that you're unattractive or that women are something, bitches, hard to get, uh, only want you for your money, or you have some like inbuilt belief that that is uh, detrimental to actually meeting and, and dating women, then it's not going to assist you, of course. But there's a lot more to it than just uh, these, these kind of empty platitudes. So what I want to do today is just have a chat about an area that I don't think these wealth creation experts talk a lot about, which is how to spend money or the, or the habits of spending that you have and how that, that affects you. When I was 18, myself and John Thompson, one of our coaches, we finished high school and instead of going to university like all our other buddies, we didn't know what we wanted to, well, we did know what we wanted to do. We wanted to go to India and have rad adventures. That's what we wanted to do. So as uh, young men with no qualifications, the only thing that we could trade on was our labor. And so what we did is we opened the yellow pages. Yes, this was pre-internet. And we, uh, no, what we did is we went to the post office where they had the yellow pages for other towns. And we, we'd heard that there was fruit picking opportunities way out west. <laughs> there was orange gold out there. Uh, and so we found the, the um, yellow pages for a town called Griffith. And we looked up orange farms and we found, found a bunch of orange farms, which we heard was the thing to pick through our great networks at the time called a bunch of people until someone said, yeah, fucking, yeah, we got some work. And we're like, how do you get paid? You get paid by the bin. And what's a bin? It's a half a ton of oranges. So you got 25 bucks, 25 Australian bucks per bin. 
And we're like, 25 bucks, whoa. Imagine if we could like do that every hour. And um, so what we did is we packed up every uh, our lives into a shitty van that John had and we drove 10 hours because in Australia you have to drive 10 hours to get anywhere. We drove 10 hours through the desert past the Black Stump uh, to this tiny town past Griffith called Hilston. And, and it was something like out of the Wild West. It was like desert and this fucked up old town of about a thousand people. And the only thing that was going on in the area was farming. And what they'd done was irrigate through the desert. They diverted a river and irrigated an area. So they had these massive orange farms just rising up out of the desert. And the pickers, the fruit pickers lived on site. And so we had this crappy caravan park and they, we were given a shitty caravan, which we had to pay for. And, uh, and then we went out there and we, were, we went to work. And what this involved was getting up every morning, basically at dawn. And this, I mean, when I think back, I'm like, wow, I used to get up at dawn for four months in my life. And we go out to the orange field and they'd, the tractor would drop a big half ton crate. And then you would run up and down ladders, picking fruit into a bag and dumping it in there and doing it as fast as you can to fill up the bins. And then you go throughout the day and do that. And we got pretty good at this. Uh, that's all we did for 10 literally 10 hours a day and seven days a week. We, we, we were just picking fruit. We stopped for half an hour for lunch and then we kept on going because there was nothing else to do out there. And so we would end up, if on a good day, we'd, we'd pick each like four to five bins once we, once we got our speed up. So we're making like 100 to 150 Aussie dollars a day, which was a, a huge amount of money for us because it meant that we could make about $700,000 a week if we worked really, really hard, which we did. And um, as a result, after the four-month period that we did this backbreaking labor, which I look back on as one of the better times in my life, actually, it was really, it was really character-building. It was really fun and it was really rough, but we had we had a good time out there. And after those four months, we'd saved up up enough money to uh, go back to Canberra, where we were, pack all our stuff, book our tickets, and fly to Asia. And then, at the age of eighteen, we traveled all around Southeast Asia, through Bali, through Thailand, through India and had the wild adventures of spiritual exploration and, and going to, to crazy places that we'd wanted. Now, at the same time, if we, if we rewind back to this, to this fruit-picking caravan park, there was, there was two other groups in the park. There was a, a big group of Thai, uh, Thai pickers, pickers from people from Thailand. Right? They just call the Thais. They're the Thais, they'd say. And they had about 10 men and one woman, and they built their own kind of mini little village there, like literally built it out from scratch. And what would happen is that when you went out to pick fruit in the morning, they'd already been out for two hours because what they would do is they would get up at dark and the mama tires, as we called her, she, she would have gotten up even an hour earlier and she'd have breakfast ready for all the pickers. So they'd, they'd be eating in the dark and they'd go out in the dark. And as the first like hint of dawn came, they'd be up the ladders working. And those guys worked until dark. So they worked about 12 hours every single day. And they worked as, a, as like a kind of a cartel, it seemed, because every couple of weeks, a brand new car would turn up. So they would, they would work as a group and then they would buy a new car. Right? And so they, they worked as this, as this consortium that, that created quite a lot of wealth. And then different uh, people from Thailand would come and go. And so they would, they would go there, work, work their asses off for a certain amount of time and then go back to Thailand and I guess live it up now, now that they were rich and leveraging the currency difference. So on the, on the one side, we had the Thais, and then the rest of the caravan park was filled with Aussies. And they, they, were, typic, they were all like older gentlemen, 
uh, all drunks uh, and all running from something. Like this was a, this was the ends of the earth <laughs> when you know men ended up when they they were running from the law or from their ex wife or, or whatever fucked up thing they'd done in their life. And so they ended up there and they stayed in that park for years. There were people who'd been there for 10 years. Now, the interesting thing was all of those guys, what they did was they would work pretty hard. They didn't work as hard as the Thais or, or not as hard as us, but they would, you know, they'd roll out there at eight, nine in the morning and they'd work there eight, eight plus hours a day and make their hundred bucks ish a day. And then every Sunday they would be completely broke, right? Because what they would do is they'd work, work really hard through the week. And then on Friday, Saturday, they'd go into the pub and they would gamble and they would drink and they would whore. Well, actually, they couldn't whore. We didn't even have a whore in that, in that town. That's how fucked up it was. So they would basically drink their wages away. And then by Sunday night, they would be l- literally penniless. And then they'd get roll up Monday morning, hungover as fuck, and then they'd do it all again. And they did that for years. And I, I really wonder what ended up happening to those kinds of guys. So... The interesting thing here is it's the, there is definitely a mindset difference, right, in, in, this, in these three groups. We, we went there highly motivated to do this for a short amount of time to save up a certain amount of money so that we could get the fuck out of there and go on our adventures. The Thais had come there as their opportunity to, get it, to go, leave Thailand and, and earn Western currency and then go back to Thailand and, and become cool dudes. And the Aussie pickers, they, those dudes, uh, for them it was just – it was just this endless grind of work, spend, back, back to zero. Now, it's an extreme case, but I think it exemplifies something that a lot of people with, let's say, poverty mindsets have, which is that they're okay going back to zero, right? They, they're used to, in some, in some ways, there tends to be like a, a race to go back to, to broke, to zero, because they don't really know what to do with a surplus of money. So one thing that I learned really early on, I don't know how I learned, I was just kind of naturally frugal, but I had this idea that $1,000 was zero, right? So for me, to, to me, for me in my, my early years after high school and in my early 20s, having $1,000 in my bank account, and you can, it'll be different in different currencies and different locations, but having $1,000 was, I, I, I changed the idea in my mind that I had 1000 to I have zero, right? So that that, that little bit of buffer was not something that I was going to touch. And it's not that I never touched it. There would be, there would be certain circumstances where I would touch it if a really great opportunity came along or, I, or I, was, I was moving towards like a very specific goal. For example, when I wanted to go to China for the first time when I was 22, I think it was, uh, that was the first time that I dipped into, like that I went below that zero. I spent everything that I had because for me, going to Shaolin Temple in China and... Uh, meeting with the masters that I'd always dreamed of and learning this this ancient skill that was the thing that I cared about at that time was worth was absolutely worth going back to zero. Uh, and and it absolutely was because that changed the course of my life. The, that first trip when I went and spent one month with the monks in, in Shaolin Temple changed the trajectory of my life. It, it taught me a new type of discipline, a new type of passion. Uh, it allowed me to have spiritual breakthroughs with my meditation and uh, in terms of like the investment, it's, it's paid off, I don't know, a hundred thousand fold. Uh, it's, it's, it's incalculable in terms of the benefit. But the, the, those were the only times, like there was a, a handful of times in my life where it, was, where it was deemed by me worthy to, okay, now's the time to burn this cash because this is where I'm going to get the payoff. But I think for, for most, well, a lot of like wage slaves or pe- people who are, you know, working paycheck to paycheck, they, 
yeah, sure, they might not have great mindsets about investment or, or about wealth creation, but, and that's not what I'm really looking at today. I'm not looking how to create wealth. I'm more looking about how do you spend it. Uh, I don't know if that's something that people really think about too much. It's, I remember I had a bunch of friends back when we were in our 20s who became strippers, right? So we had a few hot friends that we knew and they, uh, one of them became a stripper and she started making, back then stripping was like really lucrative because there was no internet, no cam girls or anything. So the only, the only, the only way a man could see hot young tits was to go to the, to the um, strip club. And so these girls, there was about three or four of them we knew, that we knew became strippers at the local strip club, and they would make $1,000 a night, a night, right? So they'd end up, you know, going and giving lap dances. And they did it for a number of years. And the stripping lifestyle uh, burns, burns people out for the most part because it it's hard work. You have to deal with a lot of bullshit and a lot of you know, abusive drunk dudes uh, it's late nights, it's smoky venues, drinking and, and stuff. So it's not something that most people can do for an extended period of time. And, of course, uh, you know, youth and beauty is, is the currency as well. Of those girls that did it, I, I saw them earn thousands and tens of thousands over the, over the year, or year or two or three that they did it. And once they'd finally quit, they, not one of them had a single thing to show for it, except for a whole bunch of nice handbags and fancy stripper shoes. They didn't have any money at the end of it uh, because – it was so easy, well, easy, it was easy to create the wealth. And, and so they were like, okay, well, tomorrow we're just going to go shopping and blow it all and go to fancy dinners and take our boyfriends out or whatever they were doing. And then when they got back to zero, it was like, okay, cool, well, I'll, hit, I'll go back to the club tonight. And they, and they just repeated that. And I remember begging them, like begging them, please, please put 20% of it away. When you come home at night, just take 20% and put it in a lockbox and they were like, yeah, I will, but like, I, I, what I want to do first is I want to buy this car and then, you know, I want to pay off my uni debts. Then I, I want to, you know, they had a whole bunch of stuff they wanted to do first, things that they'd never been able to do as, as girls who just were previously were working in cafes or like us, you know, working for 10 bucks an hour in, in shitty jobs. And so they never were able to just like, it was, it was always there and then they lost it and they were back and then they just kept on spending it. It was tragic to see that like, okay, that one time when they could have, they could have put away, you know, a deposit for a house easily or, you know, really invested in themselves and they all came back to zero. So before you look at how do you 10x your income, uh, well, firstly, I think the first step to that is learning how to actually 2x your income. And that's that's a topic for another video, which I, I think I will record um, because there are so many wealth gurus out there who are promising, you know, to, to basically create 10 times what you're worth. Sadly, the vast majority of that really is just marketing bullshit. It's, it's essentially the same kind of hopefulness that drives people to buy lottery tickets. I live in this tiny little, outside of this tiny little village at the moment in Portugal. And when I go into the supermarket once a week, which is quite an adventure, actually, you go into the supermarket, you have a look, and there's some people there. Uh, and there's a little kiosk in the supermarket. And there's always like five or six, uh, like, let's say, very working class, usually older dudes in there, scratching the scratchies, you know, the, the, the lottery tickets. And whenever I see that, it just it gives me a little, it makes me feel a little bit sad because I know that uh, nobody I know and nobody I know that's wealthy ever thinks to like buy lottery tickets. It's, it's, I, would, I would never spend a dollar on a lottery ticket. It would be an absolute waste of money for me. I would, I would feel guilty about spending it. And I understand why, like, why those things are really designed for the poor um, and just another way to like suck the last few bucks out of the poor because that's, that's the only way that anyone in that, position thinks that they could ever get wealth, right? It's, it's by, by luck, essentially, or by winning. Winning the lottery is the, is the way that, that poor people think about getting rich. But if, to put that aside, what, what I want to 
look at more now is how do you halve your expenses? How do you, how do you work to, to become more lean so that whatever it is that you're earning, right? So if you're the stripper earning a thousand bucks a night or you're a guy working in a, a cafe or a bar or a bookshop or, you know, laboring or doing your, your first kind of jobs out of university or your, your low income uh, jobs, how is it that you can start to, to break out of the, of the poverty traps or to break out of the, the rat race? Uh, it's not going to be by winning the lottery and it's not going to be by buying some course which promises to 10x your income overnight. It's, it's just not. <laughs> There's no, like the only people I know who 10x anything uh, financially are people who are deeply embedded in exclusive wealth funds, right? They're, where you can't, you don't get, you can't just like sign up for it online. You have to be invited in and then there are certain investments which are only for uh, really for the very wealthy and uh, people are, certain people are given opportunities to put in money at the right time and then they may see massive returns. Okay, so there are certain, there are other like anomalies like the crypto boom or certain other booms that have come along throughout history where early movers get in and do, do 10x. I managed to actually 40x my investment in, in uh, crypto, but that was just sheer, well, it wasn't luck. It was that I was in the right place at the right time. I listened to some people who had inside knowledge early on back when Bitcoin was worth a grand. And I went, ah, fuck it, all right, I'll put five grand into it. Or I actually was five grand worth of coaching that someone paid me. And then I left it and now it's, now it's worth 30 or 40. So, okay, awesome. I did 30X my, my investment, but that was, I really perceive that as it was speculation that, that luckily paid off because it wasn't because I was so smart or knew the market particularly. So how is it that you can start to, to minimize your expenses? Well, here's a, here's a few quick tips. Firstly, understand the different, difference between an asset and a liability. And uh, this may sound simple, but it's, it's basically this. If you buy something or put money into something that costs you money more than once, it's a liability, right? If you put money into something that over time it, it increases even by, let's say, 5% because inflation is whatever, 2 to 4, I think. Uh, you know, if it gradually over time increases, okay, it's, a, it's an asset. You know the thing that fucks most young men financially for years? It is... Cars. Has it got to craftsmanship with a flair? My dear lady, it is craftsmanship with a flair. Well, it's a deal. I know I've talked about this before. I've never owned a car. I still don't know how to drive, and and I and I'm not proud of that. Right? Like this year, I'm I'm really attempting to to learn to drive. I have to do it in Portuguese. I'm gonna have to learn Portuguese as well. But it, it finally has become an issue for me. But so definitely get a driver's license. Uh, I, I would advise you to get a driver's license. I wish I'd done that when I was younger. Uh, but I just failed the, the learner's test a few times and got frustrated and then started traveling and never stopped. And I just didn't get it. So I don't know how to drive. I know. I know. But anyway, by the time I learn to drive, everything will be self-driving anyway. So fine, get a driver's license because you can hire a car if you need to get somewhere or you can borrow a car. Like it's a good thing to be able to move with a machine for sure. But actually owning a vehicle, you've got to understand that whether you bought it brand new or you bought it secondhand, it is immediately worth less than you bought it the day you buy it. And it's going to cost you a fuck ton all the time. And I remember that in my, in my teens and 20s, the guys that were like straight away, they got their license at 16, 17, and then they went out and got a car loan, which were, which were obscenely high interest rates, or they, maybe they luckily their parents got them one or something. And they all got cars. And... They, they spent the first number of years of their working life essentially paying for that vehicle because in terms of petrol costs, inevitably they smashed it up because they were young and dumb and full of fucking aggression. Uh, you know, fines, maintenance, 
all, all the rest of it, it meant that that thing was constantly burning their extra income. So now I understand there are certain places in the, on the planet where it's kind of more or less impossible to operate without a car. And like in many cities in North America, they're designed, they're not designed with public transport in mind. There's no real infrastructure for that. Uh, and so, you know, if you live in the suburbs to get to work, okay, you do need a car, I guess. But there's, there, there are many places in the world where it is unnecessary too. And I would say in terms of like, if I was to choose between a, a nice car and my accommodation, right, in terms of like what's going to give me more benefits, it's way better to have a shitty studio or be part of a, like a crappy group house in a dodgy old apartment or house closer to the city center where the action is way better and then ditch the car and pay more rent than it is to live in the suburbs in a nice place and have a nice car. The reason there's multiple reasons. One is financial because overall you will, you will be able to become much leaner and to be able to move up and down with regards to how your income fluctuates when you don't have this, this fixed constant cost. If, if rent is the base level thing that you have to pay and you know, okay, you've got to make rent every month and you've got to feed yourself and you've got to pay the bills and okay, and then you can survive. Having, having that, that fixed drain that keeps on t- sapping money away from you, the car is, is not beneficial. And also living in the city center or in a, a social center, let's say, right? So some cities have multiple social centers depending on their size, but you don't, like there's no advantage to living in a fancy place in the suburbs from a single man's perspective. Okay, maybe when you get married and have kids and you, you, you want the American or Australian dream of the quarter acre block and the, and the, the, the uh, brick, the three, three bedroom house with a picket fence and so on. Okay, then that is typically why people move out into the suburbs so they can have that. But I'm not talking to that audience. I'm talking to the young, the single, the guys that uh, want a kind of different life than the one that is prescribed by their parents usually. And so in terms of lifestyle returns, I know when I moved to Melbourne, when I was 20, 21, 20, 21, I moved there to become a musician. I had not two cents to rub together. Uh, I was living on social security and a f- bits and pieces of work. So I was, I was as broke as you could be in Australia. So I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't starving, but I didn't have any, anything really. But what I did was I moved into a really shit house. It was really shit with two other guys who were equally uh, broke, but we did it as right in the, the hipster kind of area of Melbourne. And as a result, that meant we could walk down to the many bars and clubs and cafes and we, we weren't definitely I wasn't cold approaching in the classic sense at that time. I didn't know you could go and talk to a girl in the middle of the day, but I did know that you could go to bars and, and buy one drink because that's all I could afford and, uh, and then kind of hang around and then talk to girls in some way, random way, whatever it was, or, you know, go to, or go to house parties. So I was able to then meet a girl, Mac on her in whatever bad game way I had back then (laughs) And then say, hey, do you want to like go back to my place and like have a cup of tea? It's it's just down the road. And then we'd walk back or ride back on our bicycles. And uh, then I'd give her a cup of tea or or I'd crack open that one bottle of wine that we had in the house that you're only allowed to use if you brought a girl home and give her like half a glass of wine. Because <laughs> I didn't want to, because there's no point pouring a whole glass of wine when two people come to home to fuck because they never finish it. They just take a couple of sips and then go and then fuck each other. And the wine was just an excuse. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to waste that wine on her. I'll just like give her that much. So she's got her token sip of wine. And then maybe later on, pour it back in the bottle. I didn't do that. I didn't, I promise, but more or less. So the, the lifestyle return on, on 
the location was far greater than trying to like keep up with the Joneses and have a have a cool place or a fancy place in the in which would have had to be in, in the suburbs at that time. Another simple piece of advice I can give you to uh, become wealthy is to learn how to cook. Does that make sense? I eat out a lot now, right? So I, I travel a lot, and when I'm in in big cities, I eat out probably twice a day, and that's because now I am wealthy. But before, uh, throughout throughout my early years. Going out to eat food was an, was a really ex- expensive activity, and it meant like if I went out and I spent twenty bucks to have a meal, that was two hours of my labor for what I was worth at the time. And that's that's one thing that I don't think I don't think people who are lower income value their time enough. And one of the ways that I broke out of the poverty trap was by really conceptualizing every time I hand over. that's one hour of my labor. And I probably wasn't doing something I really loved, right? I wasn't like living my passion at the time. I was working crappy jobs and cafes and bars to try and get by. And so I I had that thought in my head, is that worth an hour of my time? Now, I don't think that's a great, I I don't have that same mentality right now, right? Because if you you do that forever, then you don't, you're never going to break out of the the ten dollar an hour thing, right? It's, it is it is really based around a low income type of thinking, but it's but it's there's effective ways to start claw, crawling out of poverty when you are, when you are earning base or minimum wage, and there are ways that will just inevitably keep you always running back to zero. And so I had that thing of like, oh, is that worth is that worth an hour of my time? That beer or that kebab? And then I and then I would just balance it out and go, nah, I, I'd rather I'd rather cook at home and then go out. Like so, I'd rather cook at home and then go to the go out to the jazz bar or the funk bar or whatever I used to go to and then pay the admission fee the 3 bucks or the 5 bucks to get in and maybe buy one drink so just so that I had something to do while I was there back when I thought you had to drink to to meet girls so one of the best things that I ever learned very early on because I left home at 16 was how to cook and how to cook cheaply and uh, I think so many men have no fucking idea how to do this at all. And it doesn't, it's not difficult. It doesn't require you to go and do cooking courses or to, you know, study deeply. It requires you to have a basic understanding of nutrition uh, and to understand how to, to get produce that's, that's cheap and then to be able to do it. And it, and it takes about as much time as ordering stuff in really. If it's like the amount of time it takes to get on your app and wait for the Uber Eats dude to come, you can cook stuff in 20, 30 minutes that is awesome and uh, you know, nutritious and very, very cheap. Tonight, Adam cooked us a chicken curry. What do you, what do you think that cost? What do we say that cost in total? Probably, probably less than, less than 10 bucks, 10 euros for the two of us. And we have some leftover. Uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, which would be, but more or less the same as us going to the Thai restaurant. And there is nothing around here. We have no choice, right? So we have to cook here because uh, there is, there is no options. So it's one of the, one of those life skills that, uh, many men just never learn. And, and it's one of those skills that it has so many benefits. Another one of them being is it means that you won't be, have a woman wrap you around her finger based on her ability to feed you. <laughs> like I've, I had friends who, you know, they lived at home, their mum cooked for them and they moved out of home and then they just suddenly, they were just eating cereal and fucking hot dogs. Uh, because they just were useless. And then they got a girlfriend that was annoying and chubby 
and whatever, but she could cook and he moved in with her and then she, and he's just like, yeah, but she just like cooks for me and say, you know, it's like it's easier to stay than to go. And I had friends who ended up just like spending years and years with girls, probably not only because they could feed them, but it was one of those things that led them to, because they were mummy's boys who'd been looked after by mum and they came out into the world and they just couldn't handle the, the, the functions of like ironing your shirt and cleaning your room and cooking food. And so when they found a woman that could do that for them, then that was where they stayed. So it, I'd say it's a, it's a freedom skill to be able to cook and iron your shirt. Absolutely. I know it doesn't, I know it's a bit like crumpled in this angle, but I, I ironed this shirt. What would I do if I didn't know how to iron my shirt out on this farm? I'd be fucked. This video would be ridiculous. I'd have wrinkles everywhere. So there's some, there's some man life skills that you need to know how to do is how to give yourself a manicure, cook and, uh, and iron a shirt. Another thing I've noticed, uh, people with poverty mindsets, I feel even weird saying it because it's just like, I feel it's victim blaming, but for the sake of this video, so I don't have to re-explain my political and um, geopolitical position every time I mention it, those with poverty mindsets, eh, yes, that they have, is often those people will be really specific about how they spend cents, right? So they'll be, they'll be like trying to say, save five cents on something at, at a shop or like, re, like really shopping around for tiny little bargains. But when it comes to the larger purchases, they, they operate on impulse and then they, they don't actually think about it enough, right? So this, this usually comes in the form for men in terms of buying toys, right? So buying TVs and cars and uh, watches and, and booze, like just blow, blowing big chunks of cash. And I, and I, I saw that with, with the initial example of the fruit pickers is that they would like when, when I looked at their caravan, you know, everyone was in caravans and so they'd all be cooking out the front and I'd see that they would be eating the shittiest, cheapest food, right? Well, whereas we would be cooking stuff which had real meat in it and vegetables, they would just be uh, there with the shittiest hot dogs and uh, like disgusting, really, really cheap, bad for you food, save, trying to save money on that, right? But then on the Friday, Saturday night, they go and uh, blow 300 bucks on a um, betting on the horses and $200 on whatever on whiskey. And so that, that would be totally broke. So there was this disconnect where it was like, I'm, I'm penny pinching, but when it comes to like pulling, just going, ah, fuck it. Like there's this thing of like, oh, I just, I, I just need that. I want that. And I, and I get it. Like, I understand it's like when you don't have much, like you want pleasure in your life, right? You want, you need some kind of, some kind of comforts. And so when you, you know, you don't have a lot of wealth, if you suddenly get some through some windfall or, windfall or tax return or, or something, uh, a tax refund or something like that, then it's like, oh, now I have the extra eight hundred dollars. Well, now I can go and buy that flat screen TV that I've been wanting. Or, you know, now I can go and go and put the uh, the, the subwoofers on my car or <laughs> whatever it is the thing that you've been kind of dreaming about. And this this is where this is the a big the big trap that keeps pulling people back down to zero is it's like that they they have the thought that they are frugal that they are like you know they mine their pennies and they're like saving fifty cents here and there. But then it comes to the big things, they lose out. And this can, this can also happen in, not, I'm not just talking about lower working class drunks. Um, I was talking to Alex the other day and we were, just, we were discussing this idea. And he was like, oh yeah, it's interesting because my family, he's from an, uh, a like hardworking Austrian family who like do things by the book and, and save money and you know, invest in stocks. And like they're, they're like very traditional in the, in the way that they view money. And he said, yeah, they, they, were, they would always be like trying to save 50 cents on this here or get the, get the slightly cheaper plan on the phone or something like that. But he realized that he's, he's uh, I won't actually, I better not give too much information. A person in, person in his family had for their entire working life 
had a had a certain bank manager that they knew from when they'd first joined the bank and they were kind of friendly with them. And they'd set up a certain bank account uh, and they'd put, put money invested in over the years in a very, very slow return account. And because they weren't financially literate and they hadn't shopped around properly on the big things, he calculated that over her lifetime that she'd lost over a million euros worth of, worth of interest, right? So the family had been penny pinching on all, all of the, t- the tiny things here and there, but hadn't, hadn't thought big enough or, or done the research to like when we're looking at the major events, the major investment events, events in their lives to go out and actually do proper research to realize that over time with compound interest that that had meant that they had lost a million bucks. Another one that makes me sad when I see it and I hear about it is when people invest in wealth creation courses uh, or promises, right? And this is, this is really, it really is sad because it's, it's essentially, you know, like pretty much any course that you see online that promises to multiply your income by, by many multiples without actually specifying that you need to have any skills beforehand, right, is a pipe dream. And I think it's really important to know that because I've, I've known a lot of people's close friends and people who are smart as well who got sucked in by the marketing because it looks very good because they're good marketers uh, and ended up spending like $10,000 on, on, an, on an online mentorship course which promises to increase your wealth without specifying that you need to know anything that you don't, that you don't, that you don't have, even when you don't have anything to sell. And one that I'm thinking of particularly which is a, you know, one of these freedom business kind of courses, which uh, is about becoming a, a coach, lets anyone in and then, teach, and then what it teaches you is how to spam Facebook groups and annoy every person that you know, like you're a multi-level marketing freak uh, tr- trying to sell the thing. But again, doesn't specify that you need to have any knowledge. So almost every person that comes in those courses and 95% of them get nothing out of it because they don't have a tradable skill. And, and the, the marketing says, oh, well, follow, follow your passion. If you're passionate about something, if you're passionate enough about something and you, and you stick with it long enough, then you will be able to make a living out of it. Bullshit. Right? There, are, there are all sorts of things you could be passionate about that, that people find disgusting, irrelevant, have no interest in, or there's already a million people doing it. And so I think like you've probably heard that advice from like, how do you succeed in life? Follow your passion. I mean, maybe, but not definitely yes. When I look back on like, how did I break out of the rat race? Not that I was really ever particularly, I mean, I never worked like nine to five in, in offices or something, but like, how did I go from being a broke person or a person living on a minimum wage essentially to, to, to start becoming someone that eventually became wealthy? It was not actually by following my passion, right? Because my passion at the time was playing funk music and doing archaic Kung Fu and having sex. Right, those and meditating. Those, those are those are the things that I was really into at the time. And uh, ironically, I have managed to turn, <laughs> create a business around several of those things over time. But that was not the first thing that I did to to break out of the ten dollar per hour or whatever it is in your country. If I if I'd have only followed my like I did actually, I tried that. I tried to follow my passion, which was playing in a disco funk Latin band, and I was extremely passionate. I worked incredibly hard, and we were good. We were a good band, but I never made any money out of it. In fact, it was a liability. Like over the whole time that I was in that band, I spent way more money on recording, on us driving to gigs, on posters, on uh, costumes because we used to wear these outrageous pimp costumes. Maybe we'll put up a photo right here. So I spent way more money than we ever earned because we used to earn like 50 bucks each or less a gig. 
So my passion, if I, and I followed that passion for about 10 years. Uh, and eventually one day I realized, okay, the rock and roll dream is over. It's time to pack this up and move on to something else. Now, at the same time as doing the rock and roll dream and, and following my passion, now that's which, I, which is what I want to say here is don't stop following. I mean, do follow your passion for sure, for sure. And if you're fortunate enough that the thing that you're passionate about is something that can go to market and people will want to buy from you, then that's awesome. And I am fortunate enough that I have been in that situation where the thing that I love to do or the multiple things that I love to do is also the thing I get to make money off. I'm very fortunate about that. But the vast majority of businessmen out there are not selling the thing they are most passionate about. Like seriously, they're not, right? Like, like I know lots of millionaires and very few, many of them have factories or online kind of businesses or their investments. Like then it's not that they're passionate about the product itself. I don't, they don't get hard from the product. They're, they're interested in the business process and they're like, this is a thing that people want to buy. Okay, I'll sell it. And that's the thing that makes the money. So I think it can be really bad advice to say, like, just follow your passion for 10 years uh, and, then you'll, and then you'll be a millionaire. Uh, feel free to prove me wrong. Feel free to disagree. But I've seen plenty of people follow passions that just went nowhere because no one wanted to buy the thing they're passionate about or not enough people. So the way that I got out of the, the poverty trap initially was not by learning to 10x my income. It was by or, or by following, you know, by some secret amazing method. And it wasn't by following the thing that I felt most deeply in my, in my heart was the thing I liked to do. It was by learning a skill that allowed me to multiply the minimum wage by, in my case, it was six, right? And that was by, for me, it was learning massage, right? So whilst I was trying to become a famous funk musician, which never happened, I had a good time, I had great, all sorts of great experiences. I got laid, uh, you know, I traveled around Australia. We did some cool albums that I'm really proud of. I'm really, really glad that I followed my passion, yeah? But I'm just as glad that during that period, I intuitively felt, I guess, I better have something that, definitely does make money that I don't hate, right? So that's a different benchmark, right? So learn something that I don't hate or that I, or that I like uh, that, that is going to earn me at least twice what the minimum wage is. And at that time, it was $10 an hour in Australia. So I went and did a, a two-year course part-time in massage and Eastern, Eastern therapies. I learned to become, become a good massage therapist. And then I started to give people massages. Now, there's a whole st- funny story about that. If you want to know the, the, the wacky details of that, you can read my book, A Natural History. But the basic fact of the matter was after a while, once I'd got my marketing going enough that I had clients, I, I saw about five to 10 maximum clients a week and I charged them $60 an hour, right? So which meant that I 6 x what everyone else my age was getting at the time and more importantly to me, I clawed back huge amounts of time. I didn't need to work 30, 40 plus hours a week. I needed to work five to 10, right? And so what that meant was that, and, and I liked doing massage. I still like massage. I, I, I still teach massage courses from time to time just for the fun of it. It's a great skill. It's a beautiful thing to share. Like, I really think it's a, a wonderful thing, but it's not my burning passion. It's not the thing that I think about when I, wake up in the morning. Uh, it's something I'm like, okay, I mean, I'm into this. I like doing this. It's cool. And it, it, but it gives me an amount of financial freedom that, that allows me to have the time freedom to do the things that I really want to do, which at that time was playing music and doing Kung Fu and chasing girls. 
which then meant that I had all of this extra time and, and creativity and energy and mental space to, to start uh, seeing over time how I could move into something that I really was passionate about, all right? how, how I could eventually move into starting this company because I, I had the luxury of huge amounts of time. Right? I would just do a one hour, one or two clients a day and then the rest of the time I was working on stuff that I really liked. And then when I got an opportunity, when my original business partner approached me and was like, hey man, why don't we try and like get paid to teach dudes to pick up chicks? And I was like, what? No one's gonna pay for that. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, I reckon they will. And I'm like, well, let's fuck around with that for six months, ineffectively, badly and party most of the time, but, but also try and figure things out so that we had the luxury of the time to experiment, to learn what it meant to, we, we were good at picking up girls. We had no idea how to coach. And so what it, we had the luxury of time of like finding some guy that was crap with girls and taking him out and testing it and having guinea pigs and then uh, starting to do things for free initially to get reviews and then start to go into the local men's groups of lairs, they were called, uh, you know, give little speeches, charge 10 bucks for those and then start charging like guys $200 a weekend. Yeah, there was a time when you could hire me for $200 for an entire weekend. I was a cheap, cheap piece of ass back in those days. Good luck now. And so over the, over then over the next few years, I gradually learned how to become a businessman and made many, many mistakes. But I was working from a very lean position in terms of like the expenditure that I was putting into the business early on. I didn't go and put 10 grand down on a wealth creation course, right? But with, with some flashy sales page that promises to, to make me rich overnight uh, because I didn't look at the internet very much back then. And, uh, and also I've always been kind of skeptical and dubious about those kinds of claims. Cause if it sounds too good to be true, it almost always is. All right. So it's like, I mean, I make 10 X claims occasionally, but I don't make them about finances. I make them about, uh, your social life, right? Because I know that if you learn to become effective at cold approach, then absolutely you're going to 10 X your results with women. Because if your results with women now are based on an application, the amount of hours that you have to put in, you know it. You know it. We've all, we all know it. We've tried it. All the swiping and the texting and the flaking and the fucking women, women, am I right? Uh, or the going to the bars and endless nights in bars drinking back when that was a thing and going to house parties over and over again and hoping for something to happen, which is what I did back in the day. You know, that was how we got laid. We'd go out and we'd just put ourselves out there and occasionally someone would get lucky and we're like, how did you do it? It's like, I don't know. I've got no idea. Right. So learning a skill like learning seduction, which doesn't happen overnight, it takes, it takes time. But once you've got it, yeah, sure. That'll 10 X your results because there, there's a, there's you, you're, you're approaching hundred X, you're meeting hundred X, the type of women that you would otherwise. And then when you get your skills right, then yeah, sure. You, you will uh, have many times the success in your dating for sure. But that's because you're learning a very specific step-by-step skill to, to create an outcome. When someone promises you like, okay, come into this course and at the end of it, you'll be able to, you know, multiply your income many, many times. I would be, I'd be very dubious about that. So that's, that's why I want to leave this video. It's just a little, a short one. I just wanted to punch out some ideas that have been bouncing around in my head. Uh, because, uh, as, as I'm a life coach in the, in the broad sense of things, I'm, I'm in contact with all the areas of, of coaching from sexuality to personal change. And then I'm, I'm very aware of what's going on when it comes to the, the wealth gurus out there. And I just would prefer it if you, if you don't fucking lose all your money to these shysters and that before you think probably, yeah, before and while and, and continuing on, as you go on this journey of success, 
yes, there is going to need to be mindset shifts that you have, for sure. Those pickers, those Aussie fruit pickers, had very bad wealth mindsets. They, they, they thought they were poor and they, they, and they thought that the, their belief was you work hard, you drink, and then you scrape yourself up and you do it all again until you die, I guess. I don't know what happened to them. It's a scary thought. So, of course, their mindsets were extremely, extremely negative in that sense that they could never, they could never create wealth. It didn't matter how much they earned. Those guys, some of them, sometimes they were, they were earning like 50K a year, which is not nothing. That's a good, good uh, whack of money. Entire families live off that. People, people go throughout their life with an income of that and end up owning properties and you know, having good success. So it's not necessarily the amount of money that you bring in. Of course, that matters to some, to some degree, of course. But more importantly, I'd be looking at, okay, how are you spending it? What kind of, where are you bleeding money in subscriptions, right? Like I guarantee you've got something right now that you're paying monthly or yearly fees on that you've forgotten about and that is bleeding 10 bucks a month or something that you don't need, right? So if you sat down after this video and uh, spent uh, like an hour looking at all of your, all of your, the things that you, you've attached your credit card to, whether that's phone plans or Pornhub premiums or whatever else it is, and, you, and you're going through that and you cancel a bunch of those, then you will have made a profit from this video. Cool, and you can send some to me on Patreon. I don't have a Patreon. I don't need it. Uh, you know, buy me a buy me a coffee when you see me one day. Look at like, okay, so do you value your time, your hour for dollar time, right? So is it is it worth spending if if let's say you're earning ten dollars an hour or whatever it is, and you work eight hours a day, but then you spend thirty or forty of that on going out to lunch each day and going out to dinner and having a couple of drinks at a bar, for example, and you spend every day, you spend half your income just on feeding yourself and and feeling a little bit, having some of those kind of validation purchases or pleasure-based purchases. Well, would it be, would it be worth it to, to bring a packed lunch to learn how to cook, uh, to spend, for example, spend Sunday afternoon cooking 14 chicken breasts and and bunch of vegetables and then putting them in the freezer and then bringing those to work, for example. Right? That's the sort of thing that may end up earning, saving you an extra $100 per week, which means that, you know, that's thousands of dollars per year that you could then go, cool, all right, I'm going if to, if I'm going to spend that on pleasure, if you are going to burn it back to zero, at least make it something really worthwhile, at least make it a trip somewhere or going to see a mentor that you really wanted to learn from, you know, rather than, than this ink, this daily bleed of money because you're either lazy or because you just haven't thought that these, these are the areas that you're spending money. Spend a week, I know it's boring, I know it's like tedious, but spend a week tracking every single penny that you spend, right? As opposed to, you know what you earn, okay? You probably more or less know what you earn, but do you know what you spend? Do you know where you spend it? Do you know where you're bleeding it? And then you track that, be meticulous about it, be pedantic about it, and the end of the week sit down and go, whoa, that thing there, I spent whatever, you know, $100 this week on alcohol or $200 on eating out, you know, or buying clothes or, you know, buying gadgets or whatever it is. And you're like, okay, is that, if I continue that habit, then you will be there for the rest of your life, no matter how much you earn. I have have seen this a, a lot. People who start out with very, very little and then at some point they get a really high paying job, maybe for a short period or they get some, some gig that gives them heaps of cash in the short term, uh, or like the, my stripper buddies back in the day. And uh, it doesn't matter that, that suddenly they have 10X'd their, their income, they 10X their expenditure straight away because they're used to being at zero. They're always in a rush down to zero, right? So as I, I said that at the beginning, like early on I got it in my head that, 
having a thousand in the bank meant that I had zero. Right? And then the net, there was a next stage after that, which was when I started the natural, the, the natural lifestyles originally called the natural. Uh, and after the, I think it was the second year, we, we finally started to make, make a bit more, bit of money where I'm like, well, I've got, I got money now and there's 10 grand in my bank account. Right? And that, and the, and my, my impulse was like, whoa, what could I, and I was like, Hmm, 10 grand is zero from now on. Right. And so then, and then I just changed the number. Like it was like, okay, now I don't go below 10. Right. And that's, and that, and I've, you know, increased that amount over time. I'm not saying this is the only investment strategy or the only, only, it's the only hack out there, but it was one thing that helped lift me out of poverty because I, I never, I've never been back to zero since those days. I never, I've never rushed back to zero except for the couple of times that I invested it to travel the world to learn from certain masters. But as soon as I'd come back from that, that then I went back out fruit picking fruit or doing whatever I had to do to build it back up to the, the one grant. So take some of those pieces of advice. They're not glamorous, right? It's not something, it's not super exciting. It's not going to make you a millionaire. Maybe, I mean, maybe it will over time, but these are the things that will, will help you to make those micro adjustments that, so that over time you start to becoming a person who actually has wealth mindsets because they, wealth mindset inc- includes understanding how, how you spend your money. It's, it's the understanding of what to be frugal on and what to, what to actually put money into. The things that you think that you need because you're told a car or whatever the, the, the liabilities are that so many, put, so many people put money into, rethink it, okay? Do you need to own that thing or can you lease it? Or can you just, it's, it's probably much cheaper to catch Ubers twice a day than it is to own a, own a car. I'd have to do the exact numbers on that, but you know, I've never owned a car and throughout those early years when all of me and my friends were basically at the same shitty broke level, after five years, I had traveled the world multiple times. I'd gone and learn from teachers that I really wanted to. I had a bit of cash in the bank and when I needed, decided that I wanted to move city to, to, to play music or to, to study something and eventually to move overseas, I was able to, whereas most of my friends, it took them until their late 20s before they got any kind of financial stability because they'd been paying off their bloody car the whole time. So I hope that's been useful for you. Uh, Coming up very soon is the release, the re-release of my Lifestyle Design Academy, where you will 10X your income overnight. (laughs) No, I do do make 10X promises on this one because they're ones that I know that I, I can achieve because they are to do with lifestyle, social circle, and, uh, and women. And, uh, and ironically, a lot of people who've moved into this course have actually made a lot more money as well because the skills that you need uh, to create wealth are often people skills, right? They are networking skills. They are having enough clout and enough reciprocal trade with, with people that know things that you don't, that when certain opportunities come along that aren't publicly known, that aren't out on there on the internet, that, that, that you're the guy that is that, that that person helps out, right? So I've, I've talked about in other videos recently how the, the several times where I have multiplied my financial results weren't based on my mad investment skills. Absolutely not. Because I, I don't know anything about stock markets or real estate or anything like any commodities or whatever. All I know is people, really, at the end of the day. That's my specialized skill. And when I've met people who are really deeply into a thing, into real estate in Hungary, for example, or into crypto, uh, and now, I'm, now I have access to mega rich dudes, like I'm talking real 1% of guys who you know, own wealth funds. Okay, so now I have access to the types of information that means when they call me and say, all right, James, put 20 grand on this thing, uh, it's gonna work, I go, cool. I, I know it's gonna work because not because 
I paid some dude on the internet, but because they're close friends and they are closer to the engine of capitalism and they get the real tips. So the Lifestyle Design Academy is an eight-week live uh, lecture series. So obviously done online, but live with me every Sunday evening for uh, about four hours. I originally, the, the first time I ran this, I said it was going to be two, and then every single lecture was at least four hours. So it's just four hours because I, I, once I get started, I like talking. I like doing this is my passion now, and I get to make my money off it, and I like to give as much as I can to the people who've given back to me and, and have helped me to become successful. So week by week, we look at the different ways that you can expand social circles, that you can target gatekeepers to break into elite social circles, how you can build certain currencies that are valuable to people so that you have more leverage to trade. And we, we also just dive into all sorts of other areas, like including, including wealth management, including sexuality, including seduction, essentially anything that the guys want to discuss and work with me on in terms of building a kick-ass lifestyle I'm open and flexible to, a, to doing that. I have a core curriculum, but then I'm, I, I adjust things to the needs of the group. So we've got the, the relaunch coming up in mid-March. It will be open for seven days only because after that we shut the doors, we bring in the crew, and then I work with them for the first eight weeks. And then there's follow-up training less intensively, but every single month for the following 10 months. So this is a 12-month program where I will mentor you through, you know, through an entire year of taking yourself from wherever you are to multiplying your effect in terms of your social world, your connections, uh, your leverage, and uh, your access to really important and fun people, and of course, women as well. So what I'm doing right now is I'm giving away a short snippet of, uh, it's an introductory lecture, which goes into the core tenets of the seductive economy, which is my framework for for lifestyle design, gives you like a, a basic outline of it. And to to receive that, all you need to do is click the link below, put your email in, you'll receive that video immediately. You'll also get access to some invite-only webinars in the the next couple of weeks or month where you can ask me any question about anything except don't don't ask me about crypto anymore. I just got lucky early on, right? Ask me about the stuff that I know and I'll happily answer your questions. And, uh, of course, you'll be kept up to date with the launch. So if you'd like to join what has been... Previously, the, the, in the previous year, was my most successful course to date. Uh, the, the most guys that have ever joined any of my courses, and uh, it's it's a really vibrant, amazing community. We'll be combining the Telegram group from the first year, and we'll be bringing the new guys in. So, because we essentially we're just continuing to expand this global network of kick-ass individuals who are hooking up with each other in different places around the world and working on all their lifestyle design projects. So, I'm really excited to to work on the 2.0 version. I've taken the feedback from the first crew, I've made some adjustments and tweaks uh, to make it even tighter. And uh, I'm really looking forward to being able to coach you guys through the rest of this extremely weird and uncertain time in history in the, this year that's coming, when the best thing that you can do to invest in yourself is to understand how to connect with people in a, in a way where they really care about you and, and have your back. Because the old ways of just uh, you know going to university and getting a solid job in one industry and staying there for 40 years, that doesn't exist in, in almost any industry anymore. The reality being that over your lifetime, you will probably change careers many times. And the people who succeed most in life, certainly they're people who are good at the things that they do, but they're people who are exceptional people persons. They're really good with people. I'm sure you've seen this maybe in your workplace or uh, in, in areas where you, where you exist, where 
and maybe you've been that person where you may be the best at the thing, but other people rise faster or, or get, get promotions quicker. Why is that? It's usually because of nepotism. It's because the person is decent at the job, but they're really good at ingratiating themselves to other people or net, networking. And networking isn't handing a card over. Networking really means like, I really have your back. You really have mine. I have something to offer you below just the, the task on a, on a human level. And so if you really want to learn to influence people and, and accelerate in whatever field you, that you are in, you will need to be excellent at uh, understanding, communicating with and influencing people. That's it for tonight. We've been filming all day and I'm, I think I'm going to go and have a chamomile tea and watch some Cobra Kai. You guys watching Cobra Kai? Oh, anyone born in the 80s? Oh, it's so good. Can you believe it? They got Daniel, they got everyone back for the young dudes. They're like, what is this? Like, this is an old man's thing. This is a boomer's thing. If you're brought up on Karate Kid, go and watch Cobra Kai. Amazing. All right, that's it. I'm out. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The Natural TV. See you on the next episode.